I know that sometimes when you hear a, a silence before someone speaks here, you may be in anticipation of what's about to happen. I, uh, I had a discussion with a family member. I visited my son this week, and, and uh, we discussed this passage that I was about, I'm about to preach about. And uh, it's interesting that uh, silence can do something about anticipation. I said that when the seventh seal was broken, that there was silence in heaven for about 30 minutes. I asked him, so what do you think that meant? And uh, him being my, my, my son, answered the way I probably would have answered, something like this, well, Dad, why don't, you, why don't you try it and just stand there for 30 minutes quiet and see what they do. <laughs> and actually, it really wasn't that bad of a suggestion in that many times when we would have our prayer meetings, uh, my son-in-law would pray and he would sit there silent. And I got to thinking, well, he's preparing himself. And many times when we get into the scriptures and we seem to see a passage that just, we don't know what it means. And there's just silence. Sometimes silence can be very revealing. So let's take a look at our passage today. I would like to read those five verses and then we'll pray once again for the assistance of God. The first five verses of chapter 8. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stood before God, who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask now that you would simply tell us what this means. Holy Spirit, guide our hearts, guide our thoughts. We would pray that the simplicity of its message would take root in us, that we would understand how that our prayers rise up before you, and that you hear our prayers and you act upon them. And we want to thank you for that. We want to thank you that our groanings are heard, just like the slaves in Egypt. We are now slaves to sin at one time, but you have come and you have released us from that domain of sin. So, Father, we pray now, hear our prayers. May your word have free reign on this earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. The simple doctrine I would like you to take home today is this. God hears and answers the prayers of his people. God's people pray to him. Now you may say to yourself, uh, well, I don't remember praying that many times this week. I, I can remember praying before our meals. I remember praying before I go to sleep. But throughout the day, my mind seems to be occupied with my business. Well, I would say that many times our prayers are rather disguised, even to ourselves. 
Our prayers sometimes are simply groanings within us. Remember how Lot was described as a man living in Sodom whose holy spirit, that is, his soul, was vexed by the sin around him. Even that vexing, even that living among sin where we groan within us, our spirits cry up to God. Oh Lord, how long? Remember in chapter 6 how the blood of the saints that were martyred below the altar cried up to God, Oh Lord, how long? Will you not come and avenge the blood of your people? Christ is our great high priest. And he is the one that takes our broken prayers, our unspoken prayers, the needs of our hearts. He takes them and he adds to them a great incense. He adds to our prayers all the repairs that need to be done. He adds to them and takes away from them the things that we should not be asking for. James tells us about our prayers, how we have not because we ask not or we ask amiss. But we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our great intercessor, does he not, to fix our prayers, to be as they should be. And then we see God answering them. God is pleased in his holiness to answer our prayers because of the grace that we have in Christ. He hears and answers our prayers. And you may say, well, I remember asking for things I did not get. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> you should not have had it. God is good to you. God watches out for you, even when you don't know how to watch out for yourself. God is on our side. God is for us. So in a brief review, I want to make sure that we look at this vision in the context of the apocalypse. The apocalypse are visions given to God's people that they might see images and understand they need to be interpreted. The very first vision we had was the vision of the church on earth where Christ walked among his churches and he walks among us today. They, the churches, were given letters they contained promises to individual churches to how, how they can overcome and how they become conquerors. And they are also, those promises are given to us. The second vision was of God's throne. And remember how God's throne was the center of everything, the center of all activity. All eyes were cast upon this throne. And it was how God was worshipped. And it was the Lamb of God who stood even between every creature and the throne himself, and then he approaches the throne and takes from the hand of, he, of the one that sat on the throne the, the scroll that had seals, seven seals upon it. And only the one who was authenticated with authorization to open those seals could take that scroll and even open them. And when the Lord opened those scrolls, he opened those, that scroll with the seven seals, we had the four horsemen of the apocalypse, is what is commonly called. The first four seals, where there is conquest made, where there is war waged, where there is famine endured, and where death reigned. We also have the next seals of five and six. We're just about to talk about the seventh today. Seals five had the martyrs. Under the throne of God, their blood crying out. And the sixth seal was the great day of judgment. And then after that, in chapter 7, we saw a vision 
of the 144,000 who had been sealed by the angel of God. Sealed, elected, chosen, and then given the Spirit of God, called out and given the effectual calling by the Spirit of God being pressed upon their hearts and minds. And now in chapter 8, verse 1, we see the breaking of the last seal. And there was in heaven silence for 30 minutes. Now when looking at the events that happened before and after the seventh seal, we can understand that the seals themselves represent the decrees of God. God has planned this out. It is not uh, the way we do things. Sometimes we, we just play it by ear. You know how you've heard that, right? I didn't plan it out. I just take one day at a time. I don't know what's going to happen. God is not like that. Our God is not like the one who just plays everything by ear. The scroll was taken by a slain lamb because he knew he would be dealing with sin. He knew that he would overcome our sin problem, and it was done that way. So what are the results of the breaking of the seal? Silence. This is a little strange, and I know, and it can be difficult. And many of the commentators that I read, they were clever, but they were all different. But I'll have to confess this. I did find one that I thought was better than the others. A man by the name of Joel Beakey has about 70 sermons on the book of Revelation. I recommend them. I am listening to them myself. In fact, I read several, or I listened to several sermons just to prepare myself for this one. But he has the idea that this silence that was given was in preparation for the seven trumpets. But the preparation was that the people of God would have their prayers heard. And, and so the, I'm going to just simply state it like this. This section of scripture, and I'd have to preface this with this, in my opinion, that this silence is followed by the offering of prayers and incense where fiery coals are then hurled upon the earth. And I would say this, that those fiery coals are God's answers to our prayers. And that the prayers of the saints bring about these, this judgment. Why? Because that is what we're praying for. We go, I, I didn't pray for that. When the Lord taught us to pray, he said, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. And then what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. Now we need to understand when we pray that. Thy will be done. And what is God's will? Holiness is going to reign upon this earth. Holiness will reign. And only the slain lamb can provide grace to have holiness bless him. Because if it were not for the slain lamb, holiness would destroy the sinner. And so the very same holy God who comes and touches the earth like Mount Sinai, where God came down in lightnings and thunderings, and everyone was so afraid. They say, do not let this God talk to us. Moses, you go up. I do not want to hear anything else. This very same God is going to come and speak to the heart of the sinner because the lamb was slain for his sin. 
Remember the, the, the fiery bush that Moses said, what is going on with this bush that it should burn and not be consumed? Today, you need to understand that there is a holy God that's coming to judge this world, but we are not afraid because we will not be consumed by the holiness. We shall be in fellowship with the holiness. We shall be in fellowship with God. But the rest of the world, the very same God who scares the daylights out of them, is the safety and refuge, the God that we rest in. It is the God that we rest in. So let's go to these verses one at a time and read them. Verse number one. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now this word silence, there's, there's many references to silence in the New Testament. But there's only two references to this word, this particular word. Here in chapter 8 in the book of Revelation. And the other one is found in Acts chapter 21 verse 40. And it has to do with the Apostle Paul going to Jerusalem, and he's arrested. Some of the Jews there have accused him of polluting the temple by taking in a Gentile, one of his friends. And when they laid their hands on him, there was a ruckus, there was a riot. The, the Roman soldiers had to come and take him out of their hands. But before he was carted off, he was up on a staircase, and he pleaded with the Roman officer, please let me address the people. And the, the Roman officer said, well, aren't you that, that, that criminal, that Egyptian that went out into the desert and had everyone killed? He said, no, no, no. I'm a man from Tarsus. Let me speak to the people. And the next phrase, it reads like this. And when he had given him license, that is, when the soldier gave Paul the permission to speak, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with his hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. Now, the idea here is that he beckons with his hand. He says, please be quiet. Please settle down. Please hush. The word itself is like, it, it, it creates, in other words, it, the creating of a hissing sound. Shh. Shh. Everyone be quiet. And so here we have a space in heaven where it says, 30 minutes there was silence. But I believe it has the idea that God is saying, Everyone, I need your attention. Please be quiet. Every eye up here, every head, every ear closed and listening. Just prepare. And you know what happens after that, right? The sounding of the trumpets. That's what happens after that. But even before that, even, as a pro even in the midst of that, you can anticipate what? That God is now hearing the prayers of his people. He is listening. Shh. He is listening. Verse number two. And then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. Now this particular phrase, talking about seven angels, many times people say, well, well there must be more angels. Well, yeah, there are. This seems to me to be a number that indicates a fullness. You know, like, like number four is used to indicate, well, the north and the south and the east and the west. It's kind of like all directions, everything, everything is included. But the number seven is more of a fullness involved. 
where, if you recall in verse or in chapters 1, 3, and in 5, we read where the spirit, the seven spirits of God. Remember that? The seven, well, we thought, I thought there was a trinity. But the seven spirits of God seem to imply the fullness of God's Holy Spirit and all that he wants and all that he desires. And now these angels stand before God, ready to do all of God's will. And it really doesn't mean, in my opinion, remember, I'm going to tell you when I can't really be sure. In my opinion, these seven angels represent every angel that says, what God wants, I will do. And they stand ready to complete God's will and God's direction. So now we have seven angels, which very well could be every angel, standing in the face of God, standing there ready to do God's will. And what, what is God's will? They're, they're given trumpets. They're given trumpets to sound. And then these seven trumpets will actually announce and then things will happen. Just as in the set breaking of the seven seals, the seven seal the seal was broken and then things happened. But if I want you to you know take note, we're going to spend more time in the future about the the events and how they happen, such as this. If you will notice, so far we've had seven seals, and on the seventh seal, within that seventh seal, we have seven trumpets, as though these trumpets belong in the seventh seal itself. And then when we get to the end of the seventh trumpet. Within the seventh trumpet, there will be seven plagues or bowls of, 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 of wrath within the seventh trumpet. And if you've ever seen those little nesting dolls, you know, they kind of like, they're like this and you take one out, there's another one, and there's one within the other. And so the bowls are really within the trumpets and the trumpets are within the seals and so on. And it happens like that. And so we get to see something like the same object, but from a different perspective from the idea that Christ is authenticated to do these things, and God trumpets them, he tells them, and then actions are accomplished by the blowing of the trumpet, the blasting, and says, now is the time. And then in, this, in the last one, where the bowls are just poured out upon the people. So that it will take more time to, uh, to, 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 to explore that in the future. Let's go to verse number three and four. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer the prayers with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Now, Matthew Henry, I believe, has a very good take on this. And I believe, I believe what he says. He believes that this angel represents the Lord Jesus Christ himself performing the duties of our great high priest, interceding for his people doing for things uh, for us, things that we cannot do. The prayers of the saints often are earnest, but they are also incomplete and even sometimes asked inappropriately. But a great amount of incense is added to the prayers. A great amount. The censer, and that is a device or like a, like a pole with a cup on it, and it's filled and it's full of, uh, of incense, and that is burned by adding coals from underneath the altar into it to cause the incense to burn and to have its flame up and, to, and to, you know, the smell is filling uh, the holy place there. Sometimes it's offered right on the altar. Sometimes the uh, coals are taken into the Holy of Holies to burn the incense there. The prayers of the saints. 
And so God is now showing us that our Christ takes our prayers, fixing our prayers, adding to them, removing things from them. He is now interceding for us. And this incense enables the prayers of the saints to rise to God. So what type of prayers were they? Well, I've already alluded to them already when I talked about how the Lord taught us how to pray. Remember when the Lord said, After this manner pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we'll see, after all the prayers of the saints have been given incense by the Lord to rise up before God, he'll take coals using that same censer, take coals and cast it to the earth. And to me, that's nothing more than God saying, I hear your prayers, here are your answers. He answers us. Remember the prayer where we have, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But remember also from chapter 6, I'll read it to you. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony that which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood upon them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given to the, unto them, every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little while, a season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren, that they should be killed as they, should, uh, as they were, should be fulfilled. And so we see these two things that I can point out. Thy will be done, and then come and judge the world according to your holiness, justice, and righteousness. Those two things. So what should we be praying for now as a congregation? We should be praying right now that God will return. That Christ will return to judge this world. And that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those two things. Let's take a look at the last verse to consider for this morning. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashings of lightning and an earthquake. And so we have the high priest offering this incense before the Lord. It had to be in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle or in the temple, the, the, the incense that was there could not just be any type of incense. It had to be mixed appropriately from the right type of spices. It had to be perfect. And only Christ can do that for us. Only Christ can fix our prayers. Only the beauty of his pure spirit can offer up what is acceptable to God. Only he can make our prayers heard. This vision that we see in this apocalyptic view where Christ is shown to make our prayers rise up before God and then he takes this censer, scoops up the coals, and throws it to the earth. And now I have to tell you again, this is my opinion. This is what I speculate. That if God is pleased with our prayers, and how could he not be after fixed by Christ? How could not our prayers be answered after it is made perfect or made perfected by Christ? 
He has fixed our prayers. And so God is pleased to answer our prayers. And what, it is, and what are the prayers examined by? By the holiness of God. By the purity of the fire that's in the altar itself. Do you remember the vision that Isaiah had of the altar? Who will go for us? Well, I'll go. But he had this vision. And he said, I am a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. And an angel went to the altar and took a coal and put it on his lips and purged his lips. Even though preachers and people can preach, it is their words that are been purged. purged. It is the word of God that is holy. But we ourselves are not holy. But the coals that burn is the holiness of God. It is the goodness and greatness of his justice and righteousness and holiness coming to the earth to perform the answers to our prayers. When the gospel is preached, men are judged. Clay is hardened and butter is softened. Hearts are changed. God's judgment is alive and well. It's everywhere for everyone who has eyes to see, who have ears to hear. But those who do not, they say, I'll not have this man rule over me. And he wants his people to be gone, to be, to be let go. I will not let them go. But God has other plans. His word comes out, thundering, lightning, like Mount Sinai. Oh, please don't speak to us. But God's people hear the words of God. So, this is what I believe these scriptures are teaching us. With that, let's get into our practical application. I have borrowed from Joel Beakey a very uh, good outline. I thought it was excellent, so I'm going to pass it on to you. It's from several messages that he brought on this particular passage. He points out this that there are seven points concerning the prayers of God's people in this chapter. One, the point of prayer itself. Two, the people who pray. And three, the place of prayer. And number four, the presentation of the prayers. And number five, the potential of our prayers. And the last one, number six, the power of prayer itself. So let me point out number one, the point of prayer. Now this is where I get to put in my own two cents, right? The point of prayer is this. Sometimes people are confused why God's people even pray at all. After all, why, does we have, why do we have to pray when we have God opening his seals and blowing his trumpets? He seems to be doing it all, but we see right here that he hears our prayers and the peals that you hear, the thunderings and all the things that are done, it is by God's decree that our prayers are answered. Does it matter that we pray God is in control? Yes, it does. Why do we even evangelize? Because God hears our prayers. We have not because we ask not. So let's ask for the heathen, for the inheritance. Let's ask for our loved ones. Let's ask for our neighbors. Have God involved in our lives. God uses the means of grace to bring about the things that must be. But he uses those means of grace. And you are among them. And your prayers are among them. God uses our prayers to achieve his eternal purposes. Remember, this is beyond our understanding. 
just give you one brief illustration. Uh, you know, I, I love these old clocks that have the works in it, where they have the pendulum go back and forth, you know, and you got just enough spring within it to make the pendulum go all the way to the same spot, because if you didn't have that little tension, it would just kind of stop. It's very easy to predict the motion of a single pendulum swing. But if you put a hinge in the middle of that pendulum to where it swings this way and then this way, it becomes completely unpredictable. You, people have tried to predict where that pendulum is going to be, and it, it can't be done fight by us. But God can. How many pendulum hinges do you think are in this world? How many opportunities and changes are there? Don't fret over the mystery of free will and predestination. God's got it under control. He's the one that understands it. We're the ones that can rest in it. We're the ones that can believe in it. We're the ones that can rest about it. We cannot understand it. You know why? Because he is God and we are not. The point of prayer is this. God hears our prayers and our prayers have been made a part of his decree. God many times uses our, you know, the point of prayer is this, is that we do not get God to do what we want him to do, but God gets us to do what we should do. The illustration that I heard in one of the sermons by, by Beaky was this. A man standing in a boat, and he takes a rope, and he throws it onto the dock. You know, and the, the rope is attached to the dock. So he starts pulling on the rope. And so what's he do? He pulls the dock to the boat, right? And you know that's not right. The boat is being pulled to the dock. Many times our prayers, it appears as though God has changed his mind when all we have done is pulled ourselves to God. And we are saying, thy will be done and not ours. We used, if you would remember yourselves in your early days of Christianity, what did you pray for? And now, what do you pray for now? When has your hearts changed that you should love holiness rather than, oh, please just, just give me this and then I'll be happy. Give me that and then I'll be happy. But maybe we should walk in the light of his word. We should see that God uses prayer to change us also. So, what the, the second point, the people who pray. Who are the people who pray? Well, it, they are the saints. They are the believers, the ones that God has separated out, the called out ones, the ones who have been sealed by God. Just as, as this, um, you may say to yourself, well, doesn't God, you know, doesn't God answer other people's prayers? Is it only the saints? Well, God has promised to answer our prayers. Now, just because he may answer the prayer of an unbeliever, you see, the Puritans said it this way. When God answers the prayers of an unbeliever, we can call that an uncovenanted blessing. In other words, it's a blessing that he answered that prayer, but God did not promise that he would. The difference is, is that God promises to hear our prayers. There is a covenant in place there. And so, where is in this 
passage, the place of prayer. The place of prayer is that our prayers have been placed on the golden altar before the throne of God. Not just in your closet, not just in your bed, not just in the back of the church when we meet, not just above your head. They don't float up into the ethereal, you know, into the ether and just disappear. But they are there at the throne of God on a golden altar. And Christ himself interceding, taking the groans that cannot be uttered, taking the things that we cannot even understand, and asking, O oh, thy Lord, Lord, thy will be done, thy will be done. When God's people pray, Christ fixes them. We can then rest in the fact that our prayers are truly heard because we have a Christ that adds much incense to them. We can rest that our prayers are heard, not because we have asked rightly, not because we are good prayers, and not because we deserve to be heard, but we have a Savior who is there acting as our great high priest, making our prayers heard, enabling them to be heard. There is a place there. Now Spurgeon illustrates it like this. A young girl may go out into the fields and gather up flowers because they like to do that. And she might say to herself, I'd like to make a beautiful bouquet for my mother and take it all home. But before she gets into the kitchen, the father sees her and says, oh, what you got? And she has a big bundle of sticks and weeds and a few flowers and all types of things there. And he says, well, let's take a look at this. And he takes out the clumps of dirt and he takes out the weeds and there's this bug and he all winds them up puts him into a beautiful bouquet and says, now let's take it to your mom. Our Christ does the very same things with our prayers because sometimes we just don't know what to do with our prayers. And so, the presentation of our prayers are very important. That Christ should present them to God. God in Christ interceding for us can make something good out of something bad when we pray. He can make something complete out of something that is incomplete. And he can make something righteous that is not righteous. He can fix our prayers. Fifthly, the, the potential of our prayers. What can come from our prayers? Well, I'll put it this way. Let's take a look at the apocalyptic vision and see what is coming out of those prayers. There is silence in heaven. Everyone, all eyes before the throne, is looking at God, and we'll use the euphemism, sitting on the edge of their seat, even though no one's sitting. They're anticipating. They're waiting. And you know who's waiting the most? The angels with their trumpets, ready to go, ready to go. When? When God says, I hear their prayers, and I'm answering them. Blow. And then they start. He takes, Christ takes the censer, fills it with the coals of God's love and burning holy desire for holiness and righteousness. And he sends out the trumpet of the gospel to the earth. And it burns. It burns the heathen. It burns those that say, oh, this is, this is judgment beyond control. And even though the purging of the lips of many people, they will hear the burning of the gospel and they will be changed. And some will not. But we can pray for the heathen. Pray, and God will give the heathen to the Son for an inheritance. And so we see the potential is great. God is sending out angels to do His will 
and they will accomplish his will. It is an amazing thing to think that God has an army of angels performing our answering our prayers. So well, how do you how do you know that? Because angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. The scriptures teach us that. Remember the story when the Lord said that there was a rich man who died and then there was a poor man, Lazarus, who also died. It says that the rich man died and he was buried. But Lazarus was carried to the Abraham's bosom by angels. God has angels doing his work for us, ministering to us, ready to do what? To answer our prayers. Let us not be an unpraying people. Amen. Let us be a praying people. Let our hearts rise up to God in desire, asking God that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lastly, the power of prayer. The prayers of the saints have overthrown governments. They have changed the powers that be. They have confounded the plans of other humans. They have turned the world upside down. Remember how the, the apostles were described by the Jews in Jerusalem? Hey, we have heard of these people, you know, the ones that have turned the world upside down. And what? who were they? Nothing but fishermen praying to God and had the power of the preached gospel go before them. The gospel. Rome fell, but Christians remained. Everything that we see in this world, every empire that's ever risen up, every type of enemy that God, uh, that, that, that the devil has brought up against the people of God, they're in the past, they're in the grave, they're in the history books. God's people remain. We endure to the end. We may look like we're weak, but God is invincible, and He is for us. He is for us. So what is the point of prayer? God uses our prayers to achieve His eternal decree. Who are the people? His church. The church of God prays. Where is the place of our prayers? On the throne. That is, there is on the altar before the throne of God. And what is the presentation of our prayers? It is done with great incense by the Lord Jesus Christ, making them worthy. And what is the potential of our prayers? Our prayers come as answers as we see them all around us. The seventh seal is broken after the incense, after the coals have been strewn to the earth. And the power of prayer. God answers our prayers because Christ, even though the world doesn't think so, Christ is ruling and reigning in the hearts of his people and his kingdom is here. It is within your grasp. It is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. It is Christ in us. The hope of glory. The mystery that has been revealed from the foundations of the world. Oh, believer and, 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 and church congregation, we are in the midst of this even now. And it is there. I would like to conclude with this. When the Lord prayed before he was crucified for us, it says in Luke, And when he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, 
saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. We are allowed to pray. This is very tough. This is very hard. Please, if it is your will, allow this to pass from me. But, nevertheless, thy will be done. Thy will be done. And how far away is Christ from us? He's just a stone's throw. And how far is that? Well, you may be hit with a lot of stones, but he is that close. He is that close to you. We may be stoned to death because he is still a stone's throw away, but he is never too far away, is he? He is just the right distance from us. He is at the place where he needs to be from us because we are to live by faith, not by sight. And so we walk with Christ knowing that we have our prayers heard by God and that they are being answered. They're being answered today. They're being answered right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for your grace and how you have abounded toward us in power, in might, and all that you have done. It is unfathomable. We cannot even comprehend it. It is power beyond our, our sight, beyond our understanding. And we want to thank you that all this has been done to save us for the glory of Christ and for the uplifting of your holiness. So, Father, we pray, thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord Jesus Christ, come quickly. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen.